0: In Galatians chapter one three, verse one. We're just going to read this one verse to start tonight. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And that's how what Paul compares it to the somebody came in after him. We know it was the Judaizers who preached a mixture of an ungodly and un, unbiblical mixture of Judaism and the law and Christianity. And there's no there's no mixture there. Christianity comes out of Judaism, so to speak. Christ was a fulfillment of the law and Christ is an end to the law uh, for righteousness to all that believe, the Bible says. So it is ended. We're not under the law. We did our whole study on that uh, a long time ago. But he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? So by them having a mixture, a blend of the law and of true Christianity and the gospel. He says that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes he's saying before your eyes. Basically, Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. So he's asking the questions, who did this to you after who bewitched you? And they couldn't have been bewitched, by the way, unless they had consented to that. This is why we have sound doctrine. We study in sound doctrine. You can't just be deceived or duped uh, arbitrarily, I guess you would say. In in other words, sovereignly by the devil. The Lord's always going to warn us through his word and by the Holy Ghost in us and by other believers that have some sense and are walking in the Lord. we'll be be protected for that. We don't live in fear of that, but we do do what the Bible's called us to do. Stay in the Word of God. Stay in our faces before the Lord. Be filled with the Spirit. But anyway, what we're going to look at tonight pretty much is the last part of this verse. He says, basically, I'm just paraphrasing, before your eyes, at some point, when Paul brought the Gospel to these people, and they received it, and believed it, and were saved, and became new in Christ, And then later, uh, God raises up a pastor out of this group of people who becomes the pastor of this church. But when Paul came to to them and whatever helpers were with him at the time, he's saying, we didn't just preach Christ to you. Christ was evidently set forth before you, your eyes. Crucified. And this is very uh, important. It says set forth. You see at the end of that before in King James. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. That word set forth or that little phrase means to write in public or a public notice. It's basically a portrayal of Christ. It's more than just the ABCs and the nuts and the bolts and the written word, which is anointed already if it's God's word. Okay, but the point is through believers and through Apostle Paul in this case, Christ was portrayed to these Galatians. Christ himself was set forth before them. And so I've got some examples tonight uh, that I want to share with you about this and, and understanding the importance and the only way that, that we as believers are going to be able to set forth Christ before our family, before our children, before our neighbors, before our coworkers, before people that are lost in the world, who are before each other in this room. Only way we can really set forth Christ before each other, and that's what we're called to do, by the way, is to be crucified to ourselves. Because it's not, the world doesn't need a, uh, Randy's version of Christianity. The world doesn't need Randy's changed life. That, that, that's not what the world needs. The, the world needs Jesus Christ. And they need to believe in him. And they need to see him in order to believe him. Not a, not a, a tainted or or uh, you know a a, a a picture of Christ that's somewhat polluted or tainted by me. They need to see the Lord, okay. And so there was there's a story. We talked a lot about Amy Carmichael and the the orphanage and the fellowship and all there in India where she lived and died. Uh, it was called the Donovor uh, Fellowship. And from this fellowship, there's a story. There was a certain woman and the nurses that were in the hospital were kept telling this certain nurse who was not a believer about the Lord. You need to give your life to Jesus. Let me share the gospel. And she just basically tuned out. This nurse that was in and out, she, she just kind of tuned out. She, she wasn't interested to her. It was just words. And, and she was indifferent to it. She just dialed out. OK, she didn't understand it, but she also was not interested in it. It says until she saw this lady named Kohila, who was one of the Christian nurses there, nursing a sick baby, not her own, by the way, it's an orphanage. OK, and this this Christian woman, Kohila, who was a, a worker in this ministry, was nursing a sick baby day after day. And this woman that was lost finally came to her and said, why do you do it? Why would you do that? Why would you go to such effort for a child that's not even your own? I see you take care of this baby night and day. And Kohila said, it's nothing of me. It's it's the love of my Lord Jesus, and he has given me a love for this baby. And then the woman said, well, you know, I've heard about Jesus, but now I've seen him. And she knew, I know this is so simple, but the simple ones are always the best ones, okay? She goes, now I know it's not just talk. I've seen him. And she listened to Kohila share the gospel, and she accepted Christ, and she was born again, and she knew what it would cost her. Because in this country and in this culture where she was, she knew what it would cost her. And yet, after seeing the Lord in this woman... She surrendered to the Lord two months later when she returned home, uh, after returning home, she was dead. She knew what it would cost her to give her life to Jesus, that there was going to be persecution and so forth. But basically, the point of this is that before her, uh, I guess you would say indifferent, face and before her eyes that didn't understand and didn't care about religious stuff or Jesus or anything like that, Christ had been evidently set before her, crucified. How? Through this woman who was serving the Lord so faithfully. Okay, that's how. And so it's only as we, I guess you would say, embrace the cross, I'm not talking about something weird or perverted. It's a spiritual thing, right? It's only as we embrace the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ that the world is going to see Christ that way in us. As the cross has its full work. Now, there's not a person in this room where we could say the cross has had its full work in me. I'm done with it. I say it all the time. I'll say it again tonight. When we see him, we'll be like him. We haven't seen him yet. He's talking about the rapture. Okay. For we'll see him as he is. But until that day, he is, we still need the working of the cross. That's why Jesus says, if any man will follow me or come after me or be my disciple, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So guess what? That's the pattern. It wasn't the pattern just 20 years ago in your Christianity. It's, it's to be the practice now in your life. And in my life. And the Christ must be lifted up in flesh and blood. In other words, through human beings. He, that's how he's lifted up. He's glorified in creation. He shows himself in, in the majesty of creation. We have the written word of God, and we have the gospel and so forth. But as far as others testifying, that's that's God's vessels. That's his we have this treasure in earthen vessel. That's his means by which he goes to another human being that doesn't know Jesus. And it's not just, now, now God's merciful. You might be backslidden or I might be backslidden or whatever and not even living for God. And I share the gospel with them. And they get saved because God's faithful. You understand what I'm saying? And it was the time and their hearts were prepared and they believed the gospel and they got saved. But really to show forth the Lord day by day. We have to be dead to ourselves. And I think about it, Dee says this all the time, but uh, I just in counseling or even teaching, I've heard her say many times, that sometimes you just need somebody with skin on. In other words, it's, sometimes you got people or maybe another Christian, and they have the Word of God to exhort them, and we have the Holy Spirit. And those are sufficient. But God has... Sometimes you just feel like, I need somebody. I need a, a strong believer. I need somebody to come put their arm around me and, and guide me into the Scriptures or help me. And God has provided that. He's graciously done that. And that's how the Lord has set forth before us. Robert Murray McShane said, men return again and again to the few, and I do believe it's few, it, it's, uh, unfortunately it's few, The few who have mastered the spiritual secret is what he calls it, whose life has been hid with Christ in God. These are of the old time religion hung to the nails of the cross. What is he saying? He's saying that people are are, they're probably not drawn a lost world full of, of mankind. It's probably not drawn to a carnal Christian, to a compromising Christian. For the most part, because there's probably nothing that stands out that's significantly different about their lives. And Christ is not evidently being set forth before them. But people are drawn to. Not everyone, but those that are going to be drawn to Christ, they're going to be drawn to the ones who have learned that their life is hid with Christ and God. That's what it says in Colossians three. These are of the old time religion who are hung to the nails of the cross. It's a crucified life, but a resurrected life. And the only way to experience a resurrection life is to first be crucified. In that he died to sin, he died once. I quote it all the time from Romans. In that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Speaking about Jesus. So if I'm in Christ, that would be the same thing. I'm, de- I'm dead to sin. alive unto God. This whole new life is only lived unto the Lord. It's not for myself. But I know in practice, that's not always the case. So there's where the cross comes in. A daily coming to the cross. There is another, there's another illustration or a real life story. There was a woman named Mary in northern Siberia where she was exiled to. Okay, in the northern part of Russia because of her faith. And, and this is a quote, this is a letter that she wrote to some friends. She said there is a godless society here. Not just godless in the sense of Oh, there everybody here is godless. There was a real society. Capital G. The Godless Society. And she was around these people all the time. And one of the members of the Godless Society had become attached to this Christian woman. And she said to her, to Mary one day, who was the believer, she said, I cannot understand what sort of person you are. So many here insult you. But you love them all. And Mary says this particular woman had insulted her as well and caused her a lot of, a lot of suffering in her own life, but Mary prayed for her. Okay, Later, this woman asked if, if it was possible for Mary to love her. And she goes, Mary says somehow I stretched out my hands towards her. We embraced each other, began to cry. Now we pray together. Her name is Barbara. A few months later, Mary sends another letter to whoever she's corresponding with, telling about Barbara's bold confession of Christ openly before the godless society, which she had once been part of. Now Barbara's given her life to Jesus through the witness of Mary. She confesses Christ boldly before the godless society, and she was sent to prison. Same prison where Mary ended up in Siberia. And Mary says, Yesterday, for the first time, I saw our dear Barbara in prison. She looked very thin and pale and with marks of beatings. The only bright thing about her was her eyes, bright and filled with heavenly peace and even joy. How happy are those who have it? It comes through suffering. Hence, we must not be afraid of sufferings. I asked her, Barbara, are you sorry? For what you've done. In other words, are you sorry that you gave your life to Jesus? She said, "No, very firmly. If they would free me, I would go again and tell my comrades about the marvelous love of Christ." Now, again, this is not your your uh, bargain brand Christianity, but you know what it is. It's just Christianity, plain and simple. It shouldn't be different flavors when you read the Bible. That's just Christianity. And this is going to be our sisters and our brothers like Robert Murray McShane. I'm glad to be part of this company of people. I'm going to be with these people in heaven. And I probably wouldn't be able to hold a candle to any of them. But through the blood of Jesus, you know, by the grace of God, we are what we are. Amen. And we're saved. And we're going to be with these people forever. Not to mention... Being with the uncreated God and our Savior and the Lamb who sits on the throne. But it's going to be a blessing. And all this suffering is going to be over. But until that day, there are people that need to see Christ evidently set before them. Do they need the Gospel? Absolutely. They need to see the Gospel in action. They need to see the Gospel in reality. That it's not just another religion like Hinduism or Buddhism or some other uh, religion that it would just be words and people could tune out. It is the gospel law of which men are saved. But if the gospel is real, then then I've been changed by that gospel and you've been changed by that gospel. And they need to see the reality of a changed life by the Lord Jesus Christ. It has to do with death and resurrection, the cross daily working in our lives. A love for the Savior and He gives us a love for others that's, that's otherworldly. There's just no way, way to put it. It's otherworldly. You can't mimic it. You could try to mimic it, but you would fail miserably, and so would I. You cannot mimic this. You can't manufacture it. You can't come up with it from the best of humanity. It is a working of God in our lives In the lives of those that He has redeemed. And so, the Lamb of God so indwelt Mary, the first believer in this story, that Barbara really caught her first glimpse of Jesus. Maybe she had heard about Jesus before, but like that first story in India, she caught her first glimpse of the Savior and she was drawn to Him. She was drawn to Him. Um, she, she felt that, even though she didn't understand it all, that Mary, that Mary had something different. It was real. And what she, she was attracted to was not the new and improved Mary. It was Christ in her. And that could be in children. That could be in men and women of every race, you know, nationality, every walk of life. Christ in us and men being drawn to Him. In one sense, I don't want people to be attracted to me because people come and go. They might be attracted today and drawn to me and think I'm the greatest thing in the world, and tomorrow they might change their mind and find somebody better. I want them, they need to come to know the Lord and walk with Jesus and walk uh, faithfully with Him. Mary had embraced her cross, and there Christ was seen. Mary's love for her enemy was basically the key that opened Barbara's heart. Her love. And it was the Lord's love in her. i to just read a couple of sentences from the book. Oh, to get men in touch with Christ. We must present him. We must somehow give him, not merely preach him. And we do need a preaching. Okay. Some people can go so far the other way. They never share the gospel and they just want to be friendly and loving and Helpful in all that which we need to be, but you have to bring them the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. They're not going to be saved apart from it. Okay, but we need to we need to be able to uh, present the Lord, be so identified with the Lord that that we're really showing forth. You know, when Jesus met the woman at the well, he had this ordained appointment she didn't know about it but he knew about it and met her the Samaritan woman at the well at noon time and uh, she was asking about the the Messiah we heard the Messiah is going to come and we just don't know and she had all these questions and he said Jesus said I who speak to you am he Kind of cut through the chase right we've been waiting for a Messiah the one that you're talking to right now me I'm him and in one sense, I know we're not the Lord. So please understand how, how I'm giving this as an example. In one sense, when we need when we tell people about the Lord and share the gospel, we need to be able to say, you're, "You're meeting the Lord." In one sense, when you, it's the Lord through me that's speaking to you. It's the Lord through me that's concerned about your soul. It's the Lord through me that's loving you. It's the Lord through me that's Uh, Helping you and sacrificing for you like Kohila in India, like Mary in Siberia. I'm I I'm not Jesus, but he does live in me and they need to. I need to be so identified with the Lord and so filled with the spirit that it really is. You're meeting him right now. This is you're meeting the Lord because he's in in my heart and life. I don't mean that in any, any blasphemous way. Okay. Just in that sense. And how can can he be living through us except that we first die to ourselves? Amen. And the Lord live in us. Paul said, death is working in us, but life in you. 2 Corinthians 4.12 Death is working in us. Again, I die daily. What death is he telling me? Death of dying to self. Death of dying to my own will, my own dreams, my own plans, my own lusts, my own desires, my own cravings, that is working in us. So it's a continual working, but life in you because of the death of Jesus, uh, because the, the crucified life, you know what I'm saying, bringing forth life to these Corinthians. And so Paul goes on to say to the Thessalonians much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Much affliction with joy. And there was a spirit-filled evangelist who was much used by the Lord. He was also much abused in the ministry. And he said concerning the secret of his ministry, why is it bearing so much fruit? God was using him greatly. An evangelist. He said this. He says, we personified, or his team, we personified someone. And that was the attraction. He says, I don't have the insufferable conceit to suppose that it was anything in me that drew them. Hallelujah. I don't, you know, and today, this is not every evangelist, but a lot of the big names and a lot of the big TV evangelists and so forth and people, it is about them. It's about their personality. It's about their hairdo. It's about uh, what, whatever. Something about them. And he says, I don't suppose to be conceited enough to think there was anything in me that drew them. I said to Jesus, when he, God first called him to the ministry, whoever this evangelist was, I don't know who it was. He said, quote, I will suffer anything, Lord, if you will give me the keys. In other words, the keys to, or the power, the authority to, to unlock men's hearts, to bring people to Christ. I want to have fruit for your glory. I will suffer anything. And if I'm asked what's the secret of our power and our evangelism team, I answer the first secret is love. Second is love. The third is love. When people ask how do we get it? I answer first by sacrifice. Second by sacrifice. Third by sacrifice. Christ has to be evidently set forth before men. That is his plan. That is his purpose. That is what he's trying to, desiring to do through his church, the body of Christ. He is the head of the church. If we'll let him, if we'll allow him, he will live through us in that way. We don't have to go searching, and find, like I say all the time, for some guru up on a mountaintop. We don't have to go searching for some new, unheard of uh, thing that people have never heard. What's the latest, greatest book? Author in Christianity movement. We have to get into the Word of God and into the be filled with the Spirit and live our lives before the Lord and do what He tells us to do. There's much learning and little doing a lot of times in Christianity. And I don't want to be that. I don't want our church to be that. I don't want your life. There's no fruit in that. A lot of learning. You can quote the Scriptures. You can do it. You can do a good study on the parables. But is, it, is the cross of Jesus Christ having its full work in your life? Do I, do you, evidently set forth Christ before men? It's for His glory. Amen? And it's going to come as we, we do and we yield to the Lord and allow Him to work in our lives. And so, a great trouble, one of the authors of this book says a great trouble with many of our our churches today, again, not a blanket condemnation, alright? With many churches today, they're like grain containers full of unplanted wheat. And after a while, they get musty and moldy. If only each little grain, each little person in the church had been cast into the dark, wet earth, buried out of sight, to the cross, okay? And left alone to endure disintegration and death. What a harvest we could see. I think there is that. I think there is that in our in our churches today, and I don't think it's just today, but I do see it, and I've seen it in my time in the ministry and in church, that there's not the encouragement or the exhortation for the individual to go get along with God. And get along with God until you know you've met with Him. You understand what I'm saying? there's such a quick, get up, let's rejoice, let's clap, let's have some music, let's have something exciting. And I, and I typically think about youth because I've worked with youth all my life, uh, my Christian life and, and it's like, we've got to keep them interested, we've got to keep them moving and balancing. Well, it just flows over to the adults and the college and career and everybody else. And yet, there's times we just need to get alone, a lot of times. Half of them probably aren't even saved. Not truly born again. They got swept up in Christianity and never got born again. They got swept up in a youth group and never came to know Jesus. They just jumped right in. Now they're teaching it maybe and aren't saved. There needs to be that time... I want you to turn with me in your Bibles. We, We don't have too much longer, but John... We all know the Scripture, but John chapter 12. Turn with me. And I'm going to come back to this thought for just a moment about a lot of modern day ministry and churches. John 12, 24. Verily, verily, I, was, you know, I read this in a commentary. Anytime the Lord says verily, verily, it means truly, truly, when he says it twice like that, he's really wanting the listener to hone into that. Okay? There's something very important that's going to follow. Of course, we know it's all important. He says, truly, truly, I say unto you, except a corn or a grain of wheat, fall into the ground and do what? Die. It abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So there is a secret that the Lord is teaching here. And there has to be that time for the individual believers. I always said, said this, God doesn't have grandchildren. He just has children. So the parents might be close to the Lord, but does that child know Christ? You don't ride in on the coattails of your parents. You understand what I'm saying? That there's, a, in, there's an individual, there's a group uh, of believers all, or, all across the world that's the tr- body of Christ. that's truly born again. There's local churches like this comprised of true believers Jesus dwells among us he is the chief cornerstone he's the head of his church but that church has to be made up of individual believers who individually whether there's five or five thousand that individually came to the cross came to Jesus gave their life to the Lord yielded themselves over to God and are walking that life you understand what I it saying? it's individual people And the author of this book calls it a group spirit. He says there's a fleshly in our churches today. Fleshly attachment. Emotional. And it's fleshly and natural, not supernatural. And it all tends to preserve us from becoming God's isolated corn of wheat. And I think that that is true when you think about it. The group mentality of everything. What's the youth group doing? We have a youth group here, okay? But the point is that it can't just be the youth group is really holy. It's made up of individual people. Okay, the college and career group. You know, understand what I'm saying? That individuals in the college and career group need to walk closely to the Lord. Individuals in the youth group. There are some that are saved, but some aren't. We have to be careful of just this group mentality. All our children here are precious. Well, oh, by the way, they, they are precious. OK, every one of them. But some may be saved and some may not be. And we don't just usher them along. All the children are so wonderful, such godly young people. They need to have time to die to themselves. They need to be encouraged to you get along with God like Jacob and wrestle with God until you know that you've met with him. I'm going to embarrass Peter real quickly, but I remember... I'm going to do it anyway, son. Uh, I remember that when he was little, <laughs> I don't remember how little, and the Lord, D would say, Peter, go go say your prayers and and God's going to speak to you. God's going to speak to you. He came back like 30 seconds later and said, He didn't talk to me. God didn't say anything to me. Something like that, right, Dee? Get back in there and He will. We have to be encouraged to to wrestle with God and the group mentality in our churches today kind of doesn't give place for that. I'm not opposed to groups, but God wants to deal in individual hearts and believers. When when uh, I think it's Paul and Barnabas were in the church in Antioch and the whole they're all the whole church was believers, they all prayed and fast and the Lord said, Separate me, Paul and Barnabas for the work that I've called them to do. He was individually calling those two people. I just want to encourage you, not discourage you, but if if five people are at the altar and you're one of them and they get up and go, and God is leading you to stay a little longer, then stay a little longer. You understand my point? Not just the altar here, but wherever. If God's given somebody else a great breakthrough and a great victory and they testify, we all need to rejoice in that. If you haven't had that victory yet, you're still... Waiting or wrestling with that, you know what? Keep wrestling for that. Keep wrestling for that individually, you and God. It's amazing the things He's going to teach you and show you. And I can promise you, that those those lessons that we learn spiritually are the ones that are going to stick with you. Those lessons where you got alone with God and said, "I'm praying and fasting." Our church hasn't called a time of prayer and fasting. God's led me to pray and fast. And as I'm praying and fasting, God's dealing with me. If it's five days, 50 days, whatever it is, those lessons and workings of God are, are going to be the life changers. They really are. And you'll be able to testify before your brothers and sisters in the Lord what God has done. So parents, let your children tarry. Let your children wrestle with some things. You can't fix everything. Send them to the Lord. And not just children, but you and me as adults as well. We need to let the Lord do this. Joseph in the Old Testament. You know how mightily the Lord used him. But he wasn't with all his brothers, was he? He was sold into slavery. He was by himself. The Bible says he was separate from his brothers. And God made him a prime minister. Or a king and a preserver of life. God did that. You understand what I'm saying? He did that by himself. First in a pit, then as a slave, then in prison. He wasn't with his youth group. He was with God. He was shut up with God. And if you look back at all the in the Bible, and I I can't make a blanket statement, but most cases you're going to see the individual. They had to have their own wrestlings with God in their dealings with God and come to a place where they died. I'm going to bring this, bring it to a, a close. But J- Joseph, for example, a Bible scholar say it was 13 years of isolation, slavery, being slandered and so forth. And every Christian, every Christian, young or old, male or female, college age, whatever, every Christian must learn to live and walk on his own two feet. Remember that, parents, with your children again. Let them walk on their own two feet. You, you, you point them, but you're pointing them not to a youth group. You're pointing them to Christ. And in our youth group, by the way, we're going to be pointing them to Christ as well. In our college and career group, they're going to be pointing them to the Lord as well and so forth. But... Um, Abraham had to go to Mount Moriah, you know, by himself, bringing his son. It wasn't a group of people going with him and so forth. So I want to read this poem, man. I'm going to bring this to a close. I don't read a lot of poems, but I thought this was good. There is no gain but by a loss. You cannot save but by a cross. The grain of wheat to multiply must fall into the ground and die. Wherever you right fields behold, waving to God their sheaves of gold. Be sure some grain of wheat has died. Some soul has there been crucified. Someone has wrestled, wept, and prayed, and fought Hell's legions undismayed." I thought that was very good. If you see fruit, you see a ministry like that evangelist we talked about, believe me, there was a price that was paid for that. Jesus paid the price for our salvation on the cross. But as far as to live that life fully with the Lord, the Mary that we talked about, the Kohila that we talked about, and the evangelist that we talked about, somebody's got to die. If you're seeing fruit, somebody had to die. Some grain of wheat had to fall into the ground by itself and die. And then you see this huge Wheat fields you're driving is beautiful, it's all right for harvest and you you think, well, and that just beautiful. A grain of wheat had to die for that whole thing to get started out there. And, and this is the thought of the cross. And so um, just if you're if you're tired, and I'm closing with this thought, if you're tired of what I would call the shallow Christian living, you, you're desiring the fullness of it, uh, John said in John 1 and of his grace have all we all received and and of his fullness have we all received in grace for grace. There's there's a fullness and in order to receive the fullness, there has to be a death. If you're tired of just the status quo of Christianity in in America or even where you are, where I am personally, uh, there has to be a pressing in. And, and, and I've taken up my cross and following the Lord. There's great return that comes from it, but that grain of wheat has to die and it will die alone. It's not going to be three people that do it together, basically. Our whole church could do it, but it's going to be individuals that go on with God. So you understand, Paul said this and that uh, what, you, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And that's just another uh, truth. Death, death always precedes life, D, you can come up. Death always precedes life. Death always precedes life. It has to come first. In the spiritual sense of what we're talking about in Christianity and the life in Christ, we have to die first and then the life of the Lord more fully by his spirit working in us. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. And if we're going to set forth Christ crucified before men and have the power in our ministry and in it, even in our own lives, there has to be the work of the cross in our lives. Y'all stand with me tonight.